This is your green tech update on the Hyperloop, Elon Musk's visionary new idea for mass transit. I sit down with Carl Sterner from Zafera. I'm Lyle Solians from the Nature Conservancy, and we talk about the Hyperloop. And everything is good. So I was thinking maybe maybe we should give a quick introduction to Hyperloop for sure, those thing? who maybe don't know what it is. But uh, at the most basic level, it's a, it's a concept for a new type of high-speed rail. It was developed by Elon Musk, who's the founder of Tesla Motors. And uh, he posted his initial proposal online. You can, you can find it at uh, the blog at teslamotors.com. And I think his initial proposal was to link up uh, San Francisco and Los Angeles yes. um, with one of these very high-speed rail corridors. Um, and I, I believe that the stats he cited were that it would that transit time between those two cities would be about 35 minutes in this hyperloop compared to about a five and a half hour drive today. Better. Yeah, much better. I, I believe um, the re reason he came up with it was he was looking at the existing high-speed rail uh, solution that uh, was currently, and I believe it, it is still the plan. Uh, which is not that fast. It would actually be the slowest and most expensive uh, high-speed rail in human history, which is sort of backwards, um, step yeah. backwards. Uh, so his idea was, surely we can use modern technology to do something a little bit better. Uh, the, the description that I like was, is that it's a combination of a rail gun, uh, a, a, an air hockey table, and uh, oh, there's some, there was one other that I always forget, and another thing. And just put people in there and, and, and shoot them off, and you're all set. Right. Right. So, so the idea um, is that there is a tube that, uh, in which the train travels, and it essentially travels on a cushion of air. Um, so the tube is not a complete vacuum. Um, it's low pressure, but not a vacuum. And uh, it uh, essentially has a big compressor turbine at the front of the train that uh, pushes the air around it. Uh, including underneath it, and so it kind of floats on this uh, on this level of air, which is it is pretty nice. It, it, there's not a lot of drag there if, if you're uh, floating. Um, yeah, it, it's like ma uh, magnetic levitation, except um, magnets are electromagnets take a lot of energy to to run. Uh, this seems like a, yeah, a much more efficient solution. Exactly, exactly. So my um my good friend Guillaume Marceau, who could not be here today. Uh, we hoped he could join us. At G Marceau um, on actually, Twitter. Yes. Um, had, had a few uh, good thoughts. He read through the proposal that Elon Musk posted. Um, and uh, his, his key takeaways were a few things. Um, he thought that the uh, low pressure versus vacuum tube was a good way to go because vacuums, creating a vacuum is expensive and they're hard to maintain. Uh, whereas low pressure is much easier. I believe there's a diminishing returns also for, for the, the energy you're throwing in versus the um, sort of physics benefits that you're getting uh, are, are, mm -hmm. are really go, go backwards when, once you get to uh, vacuum. Right. Um, and the other was what you just mentioned, uh, was that magnets are very expensive, electromagnetics are expensive, whereas floating on a compressed air bubble is one of the ways that he uh, uh, made this an affordable technology. Um, and um, the one other thing he bought, brought up, and I wanted to get your opinion on this, hmm. was the, the fact that 
the proposal has the entire track elevated up on these pylons. Yes. Along the whole route. Like a um, 1970s and monorail. that actually was, yes, yes, it, it does. It looks a little bit like those sort of future city proposals from the 50s. Walt Disney would be so proud. Yes, exactly. Um, but uh, Guillaume noted that that um, actually that was part of what made the cost so expensive was actually just the pylons. Yes. Um, and putting this up high. And um, the, the reason for doing that was to try to reduce the cost of acquiring land. Right. Um, but he, uh, Guillaume sort of asked whether that was, whether it was necessary to, uh, um, to do that everywhere or if there was a way to avoid that cost. Right, I completely agree. The, the, I think the thinking there was that they would run it right along the median in uh, Interstate 5 uh, in California and just say, oh, well, we won't have to pay individual landowners. We'll just we'll deal with the government. It'll be a, a relatively simple transaction because that's um, a, a, a planning background. And uh, property acquisition from multiple um, different uh, owners, we're talking about legal agreements, we're talking about uh, assessments. It's a procedural nightmare. Uh, we're talking huge transactional costs to get all that land, all those legal agreements or right of way, uh, however it's done. So just just dealing with the I-5, just dealing with one landowner, I see why, why that was so interesting to them, assuming that that's possible. Mm -hmm. But yes, uh, running things on the ground is cheaper in general, especially if the ground is cheap. Is, is there a good alternative to that um, without getting into all of the complexities of land, multiple landholders? Like, is there a way to take, I don't know, if you were doing this uh, between certain cities in the U.S. to use existing right-of-ways or, or somehow, you know, put it on the land, on the ground, but, but uh, still avoid the, the, the cost you described? Yes, I think so. Um, are you familiar with rail to trail? Uh, slightly. Sure. Um, this is something that they're, they're, I don't even know them in the East Coast, but this has been done on the West Coast too in, in the United States. I'm not sure if elsewhere. And basically the idea is, well, we've got this uh, rail line. Nobody's using it anymore. The rail uh, company still owns it, but they don't really need it. Um, and they either give or sell uh, the property going between two points, straight line, nice and even level. Um, as uh, a public right-of-way, and it becomes a beautiful trail. There's a, a very beautiful one in uh, uh, southwest Virginia near uh, Abingdon, Virginia, uh, called the Virginia Creeper Trail, uh, which is, is very famous, and there are many other great examples. Um, so it may be that there are existing rights-of-way just sitting there um, that could be done at grade, which would be beautiful. I, I don't know of any in existence currently, but I, it, they, that may be. And that would be lovely. Now, that would be an interesting study. I'd like to see that uh, popular mechanics map um, drawn, uh, drawn with some eye toward uh, actual right-of-ways or actual pathways you might take. Practicality. Um, yeah. That, 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 that could be an interesting exercise for um, uh, sort of uh, the public to work on. Uh, there's, mm -hmm. this, this is, actually, this whole project has become sort of open-sourced um, with pretty much... Uh, volunteer uh, labor and um, donations to, to do it. So actually, that could be, um, and gentle listeners, if, if you have uh, a right-of-way that you know uh, could be done at grade, cheap, 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 effective, uh, propose it, and maybe it can happen. That would be fantastic. 
Yeah, you should. Uh, I think you, they can go to our blog, our website, correct, and, and leave a comment there. Good. Get I'm in done. touch with us that way. Greentechup.blogspot.com. So at grade is great. Um, also, it could be tunneled very easily. Uh, there are two tunneling technologies. Uh, one is called cut and fill, where you just dig a ditch, stick a thing in there, and cover the ditch. That's how uh, the old New York subways were, were done. It's mm -hmm. relatively cheap. You know, Doing anything underground is going to be more expensive, just like any, flying anything in the sky is going to be more expensive. Um, there's also, uh, I can't remember the name, but it's, it's basically drilling, uh, which is what more modern subways in, in New York are, are doing. And that's incredibly, insanely expensive. Um, and that, that, no, I mean, in, in exceptional places like New York, that could make sense, but for serious, uh, intercontinental travel, never, never, never be a nightmare, but uh, there's a whole lot of corn out there. <laughs> yeah, indeed. So I, I had a couple questions, um, that occurred to me while I was looking over the, the literature out there on the mm -hmm. hyperloop idea. Um, one is, one of the things that uh, Elon Musk said is um, he expected that there was um, a limit for this technology of around 900 miles. Yes. Um, after which he expected that air travel would end up being faster and cheaper than rail. Um, any thoughts on that? I've been thinking a lot about that. His, his, his idea is that supersonic travel is going to be faster and more efficient than subsonic travel, which um, the Hyperloop is only about 600 miles per hour maximum speed, which is just below uh, the, the, the a, creating a sonic boom. Um, mm -hmm. Though hypersonic travel is not that cheap. Um, so I'm, I'm not sure that I'm with him on that, although maybe there are innovations coming he knows about that I don't. Uh, I'm not you know, shooting jets anywhere or, 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 miss, or no, missiles at the wrong, rockets. Um, so maybe that the cost will, will come down, but I haven't heard anything. Mm -hmm. Well, and I, I guess I would say that we should add some additional metrics. Um, faster and cheaper are certainly two important ones, but um, what about uh, the impact on the environment, um, on climate change, um, carbon emissions? Because I, I, air travel, at least as it exists today, um, is is very bad in terms of carbon emissions. The worst. Um, and uh, yes. Uh, and in, again, unless he knows of some uh, you know new technologies on the uh, that are coming down the road, uh, I expect that supersonic travel would also be an energy hog. So, I, th so I think I'd, that's I'd true. I'd be interested to see someone do a study on on that aspect of it. I agree. The, uh, and of course, the, the energy is a, a big concern. Uh, in Elon Musk's original envisioning, uh, there are solar panels all along the tube that are giving it all the energy it needs. You know, it, it doesn't need to be on the grid. So That's at, fantastic. Yeah, operating, it's, it's net zero. Did you see the uh, article I posted about uh, the popular science uh, interactive extravaganza? I did see that. If we had hyperloops all over the country, how long it would take to Indeed. go from city to city? I, I was pleased to note that uh, New York and Charlottesville were both on there. It works for me. I'm in. Yes, you're right. 
That's perfect. And how long was it? Uh, was the commute time there? I was like half an hour. Between New York and Charlottesville. Oh, that's great. Works for me. It's fantastic. And the pricing they've been talking about is very reasonable. They were talking about twenty dollars LA to San Francisco to. So, Charlottesville to New York would be perhaps comp comparable. Maybe twenty-five dollars. I'd be okay with that. It'd be fine. Yes. I actually, I actually wrote down a question about um, resilience of this technology. Um, and my, my initial thought is that um, air travel is actually um, tends not to be um, extremely resilient because right. uh, if you look at the network structure of uh, sort of if airports are hubs and they're connected by the spokes of flights, um, if you remove any one of those hubs, if something happens where an airport goes down, mm -hmm. um, say weather, the entire system sort of uh, uh, comes to a standstill. And we've seen that happen, of course. So, sure. You know, for bad weather with uh, you know with any kind of terrorist activity, with you know even uh, you know mechanical problems and, and things that happen, mm -hmm. um, it's actually a fairly brittle system that that can come to a screeching halt very quickly. Or just usage. If there's too many planes, stuff slows down. Yeah, that too. Um, but what you get, the benefit that you get from that type of structure is that uh, you have, you typically have a minimum number of stopovers. So unlike a train that's, you know, making a lot of stops along the way to the destination, um, planes are, you know, typically either direct or you're only making maybe one uh, transfer somewhere. Right. And so that allows you to get from place to place very quickly. Um, so I, I was when I was looking at the um, the map that popular uh, popular mechanics I believe had put together. I think that was popular science. Popular science. They hate each other. But I was looking at that map and I was I was um, wondering if the uh, the travel times included all of the stopovers along the way, um, and if the tubes would be designed such that trains could take alternate routes if. Uh, say as you know something happened on, on one leg of that of that journey because that would impact how resilient the whole structure is that's a really interesting question the um i was thinking of it since since we're, we're not talking about long trains we're talking about uh relatively small pods um they could be individually routed uh just like um what i've been thinking about a lot is they could be routed like um the internet routed like data is um, where each two, each uh, pod could be okay. Well, this is the the, the pod that's going to um, this place. It'll be along this route. Once it gets to where it's going, it'll sort of shoot off to a a little place to slow down, uh, and then and then de uh, depart. Which is amazing, uh, and you can't do that with, with a plane. You know, with a big plane, you do it with little little planes, but those are scary. Yeah. All right. We this is another uh, task for uh, for. Our listeners out there, if anyone knows uh, network theory and they, they can calculate some of the characteristics of the, the two types of networks, um, including things like flow and and uh, you know, how you can how you can move through these networks, I, I'd be curious to see the results. Agreed. I am very excited about the idea of transportation being informed by uh, information uh, technology. Uh, theory and, and practice. I think that's huge. Agreed.
so one thing that surprised me when I was looking at this, um, in, in, in the original suggestion, we're not talking downtown San Francisco to downtown LA, or it, I guess technically there is a downtown LA. We're talking about um, outskirts to outskirts. So you can get mm. to outside San Francisco and then you've got to get like a cab or maybe there will be light, light rail or something, but there will be a change and then movement that way. What do you think about that? That's interesting. Uh, I wonder why that was. Was that simply to avoid uh, having to deal with getting infrastructure like that into the city center? Right, cost. Yeah. I, I feel fairly strongly about having that a tr uh, form of travel like that go into the city center. I, because realistically speaking, that's where most people are trying to get to. Um, and so if you're going to look at the travel time between San Francisco and LA, uh, you should actually include however long it takes you to get to the Hyperloop station and then from the Hyperloop station to wherever else you're going on the other end. I agree. Um, I think that doing something different would, uh, if, if the Hyperloop works, if it's successful, it would move the city. Because it would incentivize development around that node. Bingo. Yeah, that's 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 a good point. I hadn't even thought of that. Um, I I mean I can say from personal experience that the trains, uh, having taken trains a lot, the trains like the one to New York, which arrives at Penn Station, right in the middle of downtown. I mean, Perfect. You're like you're on Thirty Fourth Street. You're almost at Times Square. Uh, subways right there. Everything is right there. Uh, it's it's really ideal. And I can't imagine you know. A train that would drop me off somewhere in New Jersey or way out in Brooklyn. It would just be a nightmare. Oh no! Um, yeah. I actually, I've, I've, I've taken a, a, a one of those inexpensive buses from Richmond to Chinatown, and then I was in Chinatown. Which you know, nothing against it; it's a lovely place. But then there was the, sort of be like, okay, well now I'm in Chinatown. How do I get where I'm actually going? Yeah. The so it, it seems to me that actually cities have. A serious interest in making sure that uh, the hyperloop, uh, once it's once it's in, actually does go downtown and does to connect connect to uh, other transportation options. Um, yeah. Financially, don't know how that's going to work, but if I, I would suggest that there is a public interest in making sure that these things go to useful places. Well. I wonder if there's a lesson to be learned from our previous rail infrastructure. Um, when, you know, when rail was initially built, everyone had their own train stations all over the city. Yes. Um, all the different train companies. And, uh, you know, you might have to somehow get, you know, get yourself between the B&O railroad and the you know, whatever other railroad you're going to. Uh, and at some point cities actually began investing in, in union terminals, so union stations, bringing all those together. Mm -hmm. uh, and I, I wonder if there's some lessons there for cities uh, to, to, to learn from this, where they actually, at, from the outset, should incentivize putting the trains where they're advantageous to the city and to the public. That makes a lot of sense to me. And using real standards so that we don't end up with 10 different hyperloops. <laughs> yeah.
So one other aspect that I, I wanted to mention, uh, this isn't exactly a, a tech out aspect of it, but hmm. one of the things I couldn't help notice about the Hyperloop diagrams is that you're, uh, it's very tight. These pods are, are, are kind of, they're very compact. Yes. Um, you're kind of in this reclining position and, and you're, you know, kind of, uh, it, and I guess the argument is that um, the trips are very short. Mm -hmm. So don't worry, it's only going to last for so long. But um, I have to say that one of the reasons I travel by train so often, um, in addition to its much lower carbon footprint compared to flying, mm -hmm. is that I find it enjoyable and comfortable. And it is. I like being on a train uh, exactly because I can get up and I can walk around and I can you know, look out the window. Mm -hmm. And I, I, I'm a little sad sort of just from a comfort standpoint to lose some of the joy of traveling. Yeah, I, one thing that bothers me a strangely large amount is no windows. Mm. Here, let me stick you in this tube. I, I wonder if uh, there are technical reasons for both the size and the, uh, and the lack of windows, or if you could come up with alternatives that, that uh, change that. Uh, I think cost is a major part of both. Um, yeah. the, the greater the diameter, the, the more stuff we have to buy, more we have to build, more we have to engineer, it's a greater weight, um, yeah. which drives everything up. Uh, yeah. Windows in a pressurized environment, uh, a lot can go wrong. Those things have to be engineered intensely, expensively. Um, it could, could be done. It may be that we'll, it'll have to be done just for people's sanity. I, I don't know. Um, particularly for long hauls, I think you'd want to see the sunlight at some point. Um, Maybe that's another reason why he was uh, saying 900 uh, miles was the limit. <laughs> You'll start to freak out after that. Maybe. Yeah. At that point, you want to get off the train and stretch your legs for a bit. What happens if you have to go to the bathroom on a Hyperloop? See, that's the thing. Uh, there's no bathroom in the <laughs> initial uh, design. Um, yeah. So hold it. Yeah. Get off to the next station. Yep. Hyperloop, not for small children. No, 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 no. Uh, yeah, I don't know how that would work. You're right. Yeah. Yeah, that's a difficult thing. It's interesting. It, 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 it seems like a small detail, but you know, sometimes these things, uh, these small details can hold up some of the big innovation until you figure it out. Yeah, it definitely increases the cost to put a bathroom in every single pod. Maybe that'll be that'll be a thing like a luxury pod. Ooh, <laughs> you've got a, a a little bit more seat space, and you've got your own bathroom. I do. You know why not? First class Hyperloop pod. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Interesting design challenge, actually. Take the constraints of uh, cost and physics, and still design a comfortable environment. Yeah, I think, I think, I think it could be done. I'm, I'm sure it could be. Cost is a major concern. Who's paying for this? Um, so far, it's been discussed yeah. as a private venture, which much like the, the the railroads sort of were, or initially in in America. Um, so the railroads really worked because they were granted. Uh, land and, and, and rights to kind of make the there was a public involvement um, that I haven't seen that discussed yet um, and I don't think that's likely 
I think there has to be some kind of public involvement, even either in finances or in, or in right-of-way acquisition. Um, this has to actually happen. But uh, people do have money. There was an engineering review uh, done that uh, made it look like actually it would have to be a little bit bigger, uh, and the, the pods would have to be redesigned a little bit. But uh, the fundamental um, technology still looks good. Who did that? Yeah, engineering uh, software company Ensys um, worked on it. Needs some tweaking, some tweaking, and, and and yeah, it looks like they're going to need to make the tube about eleven feet in diameter instead. Actually, eleven feet in diameter. That sounds like uh, you know, depending on how much buffer is needed, that sounds like you could probably create a uh, a car that you can stand up and walk around in. That would be much more comfortable. Yeah. Now we just have to solve the window problem. It's true. We'll just have nice little screens in front of our faces with, with nice scenery and pretend. Nice screens, some uh, some good full spectrum lights. True. Yeah, that could be good. Yeah. And it's not long, and we get to go where we're going. Yeah. I, I still consider it pretty worth it. Um, I really like this idea that this is kind of a, a bit of a crowdsourced effort. Um, it's it's kind of cool. I think so too. And there's uh, there's actually a, an organization that's uh, been sort of raised, a company called Hyperloop Transport Technologies, led by Dr. Marco Villa and Dr. Patricia Galloway. Culturally, what happens if the world gets smaller? Like, what happens if you can get to Mexico City in an hour? I think that depends a lot on the price of the ticket, actually. Um, if the ticket is indeed $20, then this is something that anyone could do. Yes. Uh, if, it, if it's a luxury, if it's uh, you know, hundreds of dollars, like, like airfare, then it's something that uh, most people won't afford on a, on a regular basis. Um, if you assume, though, that it's going to be a, a lower cost, you know, $20 price. Wow. I. Uh, Talk about becoming a small world. Yeah. Um, all of a sudden, it doesn't seem like such a big deal to, uh, you know, live this far away from my family. I could just hop on the train and see them in an hour. Sure. Less. And would you? I would like to think so. I think I would travel a lot more. Well, there's also the interesting... Uh, idea from urban planning, you might know who came up with this concept originally, but uh, the idea that people will travel a, approximately on average 30 minutes to work. Mm -hmm. So commute times um, will you know, kind of go as far out, as far away from work as you can traverse in 30 minutes. And as our technology has gotten better, um, that distance has increased, the distance you can travel in 30 minutes. Well, now, if I can get from San Francisco to LA in 30 minutes, I'm able to uh, you know, do that as my morning commute. Why not? Now, I don't know what impacts exactly that has on, uh, on, on cities and on, on jobs and culture, but it's interesting. I think it makes you really want to be near the terminus of a hyperloop. No, exactly. If anything, it just accelerates urbanization a bit more. I'm, I'm actually okay with that. Right. What do you think? Any other uh, social, cultural? Yeah. yeah. 
I think people would for travel sure. a lot more. They'd, they'd visit their friends and family a lot more in, in, in distant cities. Uh, yeah, that people would start working farther. You know, I, I, I know people in Charlottesville who work in D.C. and just drive that hour and a half, two hours both ways every day. Um, mm -hmm. The Hyperloop would be better and more people would be doing it. And that's the Hyperloop as of 2013. Next up, Green Build 2013 and the Passive House Movement. What does it mean for you? Thank you. See you next time.